listening to 88.9 FM KUCI Irvine. The opinions expressed on this program do not reflect the views of KUCI or the University of California, Irvine. The Heather McCoy Show. Welcome to The Heather McCoy Show on this uh, early Tuesday morning. We have a slightly less busy Tuesday morning than usual, but uh, later on the show, we'll take your phone calls about uh, what in this current election news cycle bothers you the most, and we'll have some morning news, and then we'll round out the hour from our regular reporter from the other side of the Cleveland National Forest with Robert Larson. But first, we're going to start off like we do most Tuesday mornings with this week in stadium debauchery with uh, blogger behind fieldofschemes.com, Neil DeMouse. Uh Welcome, Neil. Hey, morning, Heather. Yeah, um, so... We'll start off with a kind of a sad story, I guess. Um, we're going to start off in the Great White North, so to speak, where the Saskatchewan Rough Riders signed a memorandum of understanding with the city of Regina to build a new stadium by 2017. I thought Canada had a better safeguards against this type of thing. Yeah, you know, in Canada, it's less common to have a lot of public money going into uh, sports facilities, but, you know, you still you still see it every once in a while. Um and, um, you know, the Rough Riders are sort of a weird situation because they're one of these teams that are sort of like the Green Bay Packers. They're owned by, you know, community uh, nonprofit, um, which doesn't necessarily mean that it's a better reason to throw, you know, uh, $150 million or whatever at uh, building a new stadium for them um, in public money. But, um, you know, it, it's it, it at least means that the argument isn't, oh, well, you know, there's some rich guy behind them and, and he could pay for it. Um, but, yeah, they've been talking about a new stadium up there for years, and now it looks like they're going to potentially go ahead with it, although the Americans of understanding isn't final. The city council still has to sign off on this. So, you know, it's still in the same status as, say, the Seattle Arena deal or a bunch of other things that are sort of have an official plan um, but uh, you know, I guess all the all the T's will be crossed and I's will be dotted as as this thing gets discussed further. Yeah, um, one of the things I remember most uh, strongly about one of your blog posts is, uh, if I remember correctly, there was an ice rink that was in discussions to be built in Canada, and midway through the negotiations, the possibility of having a semi pro team there um, almost killed the whole plan. I'm sorry, this was where this was. This a- was in Canada. Yeah, I mean, things can, can always fall apart at any point, you know, <laughs> um, and just because you have a plan. I mean, this, this, all the headlines, you know, up in, up in Saskatchewan were, you know, Rough Riders have a stadium deal, um, and it'll be built by 2017, but, you know, having a memorandum of understanding just means that the two sides have agreed on the framework, um, and, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that this thing is going to go through. You know, obviously it certainly could, and it seems like, seems like there's a lot of momentum for this. Um, but uh, you know, there's 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 plenty of times that that a plan gets proposed, and then you know people actually start looking at the at the details of the financing and say, oh wait, that doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so I mean, the the kind of the takeaway from this, I guess, is what can you do in cases like Seattle, Minnesota, where the Vikings somehow skirted around the law they passed, saying that there, there's um, no private subsidies for sports franchises. And in Seattle, Chris Hansen seems to be bent on um, trying to run around the I-91, which states that sports investments by the city get a return on the investment above what it would normally get on a treasury bond. Yeah, I mean, Minnesota, obviously, they, you know, what happened there was Minneapolis passed a $10 million cap on, uh, on uh, 
city spending for a sports facility after the Twins got a whole lot of money. And uh, the Vikings found a way of getting money out by saying, okay, well, we'll take this um, revenue stream that was going to some city-run um, um, programs, but it was technically state taxes, so that doesn't count. And this really just goes to show the difficulty of writing um, a law that is going to prohibit anyone from uh, from getting public stadium money because it's just you know there's so many different loopholes you can find. You know the Seattle law at the time looked like a you know really ironclad. Oh, there's no way you could possibly spend money on a, an arena um, or a stadium with, unless the city gets uh, you know turns a profit on it. But it turns out that the way it's written, it turning a profit doesn't actually mean turning a profit. So, um, you know, Chris Hansen, the guy who wants to build the arena in Seattle, is arguing is, well, um, you know, I'll be paying, uh, uh, you know, providing 7%, uh, a 7% return on your bonds. Yeah, that's only going to be enough to pay off the bonds because of interest and other things like that. But there you go. You've got a 7% return. That's better than a Treasury bond. So, you know, it's really hard to write these things in a way that somebody clever can't find a way of uh, coming up with something that's going to going to evade it. You know, the the best uh, thing that the Seattle provision does on ND1 is it establishes a precedent that at least people on the city the, the city council there and the county council can say, okay, you know, forget what the letter of the law says. People want a arena to pay for itself. Does this thing pay for itself? Um, and there's been some attempts at determining that, but I think, you know, Again, it gets all caught up in this thing. Well, does it meet the letter of the, you know, is, does this, this thing, uh, you know, sneak in sort of under the bar? Um, and really the question is, is, you know, is it a good deal for the public? And hopefully that's getting asked. So what's the solution? Is it better lawyers on the, on the city side of the, uh, of, you know, so they write a law that's so ironclad that no one can get around it? Or do there need to be state changes in state and uh, federal law? Better lawyers on city sides would always be a good thing, not just for writing these kind of referenda, but also for writing leases, because so often, as we've seen, um, you know, teams just just roll right over cities and you know write all sorts of provisions that they can uh, then use to you know get out of leases or say, oh, we need more money later on to renovate the place. Um, but uh, I think you know, really, what you just need is. Uh, you need elected officials who are going to be more beholden to citizens who are uh, are you know concerned about the public cost and not just saying okay well you know we'll throw money at uh, at the sports team and hope it all works out. I mean you know th- there's been so many examples of uh, you know mayors or or you know local officials who will say you know you'll ask them well. You know, the polls show that most people don't want this. Look, this happened in Minnesota, totally. The polls show that most people don't want this. You know, shouldn't you be listening to what the people say? And then, you know, elected officials will say, well, uh, you know, that's, that's not what leadership is. Leadership is doing what I think is right, and even if the people don't think it's right. Um, whereas, really, he's saying, well, <laughs> leadership is, is doing what the sports team owner wants. <laughs> is this a thing where campaign finance reform would come into it, where if you had people that more like citizens run than, you know, more wealthy people, do you think that would solve some of the issues? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's obviously not the only factor. Um, you know, it's not just that sports team owners have a lot of money to throw around and politicians are concerned about it. But clearly, it's uh, you know, it's a big piece. Um, and just the fact that, um, 
you know, when I've talked to state legislators about it, it's not even so much that they're worried about where their funding is going to come from. It's that the money really buys access, you know? Yeah. It means that, you know, the lobbyists can, uh, you know, can get a sit-down with the state legislators and sit down with the editorial boards. And it's just, you know, it gets you a different level of access than, you know, some average citizen who's uh, trying to say, well, you know, is this thing really worth it? Um, so, I mean, for years now, when, I, when people ask me, you know, what the, what the upshot is of, uh, of my book field of schemes, half the time I say, well, the best solution is campaign finance reform because it really is just a matter of, you know, it's very hard to fight these deals when there's so much money on the other side. When you yeah. look at uh, uh, referendums, for example, for, uh, you know, a lot of cities do have referenda for around stadiums and arenas, and um, there's a pretty simple dividing line, which is if the pro-stadium side outspends the anti-stadium side by 100 to 1, they usually win. If they don't outspend it by 100 to 1, they usually lose. Oh, I didn't know about that ratio. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I guess I guess another uh, upside if you're approving this on the city council is you get to attend uh, soc- uh, Jimmy Buffett concerts at local soccer stadiums. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the number, uh, that would be another nice reform would be <laughs> outlawing uh, city councils getting free luxury boxes out of these deals, which, again, happens in city after city after city, and they say, oh, well, you know, it's really a public benefit because, you know, we get to wine and dine, you know, businesses and try and attract them to our city or whatever. But come on, I mean, you know, it's clearly a perk for the elected officials. Um, but, uh, again, that, that goes on in a lot of cities. Yeah, just a quick aside, when you posted that about the Chicago MLS soccer stadium, I reposted the link that you put about Jimmy Buffett killed vacationing, and a lot of people on my Facebook page thought Jimmy Buffett was actually killed vacationing. <laughs> <laughs> They're all like, oh, no, what happened? So, um, anyways, uh, moving on to California, uh, what I never understood about the Oakland A's situation is that they claim that they're a small market team, but they seem to basically share the same cable system with the bigger market giants, with the angels adjacent to the bigger market L.A. Dodgers, and they share the same cable system. That doesn't seem to hurt the angels at all. Well, it used to hurt the angels. You know, I mean, for years, the angels were sort of second fiddle to the Dodgers. Um, and I think, uh, you know, Moreno came in and really sort of pumped up the team and, and, you know, started spending on payroll. And it's, you know, changed the name to, uh, to Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim and all the, you know, different things that he did. Um, and has really sort of try- gotten that team to, uh, to a level of even footing. And, you know, looking at it the other way, there was a time when the A's um, were, you know, the big dogs in the San Francisco Bay Area. and The Giants were the ones who were talking about moving to, to Tampa Bay, you know. Uh, before they got their new stadium, um, clearly the A's are at a disadvantage. You know, most of the money in the Bay Area is on the is on the west side of the Bay, um, and uh, you know the Giants have a gorgeous new stadium in a perfect location. Um, that said, yeah, they are the A's are still in a very very large market, even if they're the second team in a very very large market. And, you know, they're still better off there than they would be in I don't know Sacramento or Portland or you know someplace <laughs> like that. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think this is about the A's, uh, you know, being, you know, in a horrible market or being you know, in the worst situation of anybody in baseball. I think this is about the A's thinking, you know, the A's owner thinking, I would be so much better off if I were in San Jose <laughs> um, and trying to figure a way of leveraging that. And clearly the Giants don't want him there. And so we're at the stalemate, which is in year three now, I think. Uh, yeah. 
I think so. I, I always like the quote that you put on your website. At this point, you have to wonder if C-League is hoping that he or either A's owner, Lou Wolf, would die before he has to make a decision on this, and which at the pace things are going is entirely possible. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't see Selig having a, a, an exit strategy for this, you know? I mean, he basically, every time you ask him about it, says, well, you know, we're still trying to study this, um, which everyone knows just means, well, you know, the Giants owners and the A's owners will not sit down at the table and, and, uh, and come to an agreement. You know, the Giants are saying, well, we won't take, you know, we, we won't give up territorial rights for any amount of money, and the A's are saying, well... You know, we won't pay anything for territorial rights because we don't think we should have to. And, you know, it's a standoff, and he's sort of like waiting for, uh, for, the, for these two to come to some number in the middle that they can both agree on. But I don't know if there's a number they could both agree on where they would, would make it worthwhile for both of them. So, you know, he just keeps kicking the can down the road, and, you know, Selig isn't getting any younger, and Lou Wolf isn't getting any younger. And <laughs> I, you know, if this thing drags on for another five, ten years, you know, it could be the next generation of, uh, of baseball owners and executives who are dealing with it. And the committee marches on. So, um, yeah, recently uh, Sacramento Mayor Kevin uh, Johnson, I think, step, has yep. stepped into the fray, and his motto seems to be, I'll build a sports arena for anybody, just anybody, and he's trying to lure the Oakland A's. Um, why is he so hell-bent on building something? Well, you know, there's a couple things. I mean, John, you know, Kevin Johnson obviously was a, was a basketball player, so he's, you know, sort of got this whole, you know, um, idea that sports is a is a good uh uh project for his city but you know he also spent you know a year and change working on a new arena for the kings um you know got something that the kings owners initially approved of and then backed away from when they decided it wasn't lucrative enough so I think he's trying to save face a little bit here because you know the first thing he did after the Kings backed out is said, "Okay, well we'll build an arena for nobody. We'll just build it and it'll be great." <laughs> and then he couldn't get anybody to actually find you know express an interest. You know, no developers wanted to do that. Have build an arena for nobody to play in it. So you know now he's sort of casting around, saying, "Okay, well, you know, what else can I do to uh, you know make this all this time and money I spent on this look like it wasn't a waste?" I know baseball. The A's are out there. You know, it doesn't hurt him anything to say, well, we're going to build something for the A's. You know, if it doesn't happen, then he tried. Um, and I don't, I don't think it's very serious. But, um, you know, you never know. If the A's start sniffing around there, then he might have to actually uh, have his bluff called and figure out a way of raising half a billion dollars to pay for a stadium. And then we'll be back in this whole thing all over again where we'll have to figure out, you know, be going through the process of, you know, what taxes do you use and how do you, uh, you know, how do you possibly come up with enough money to make it lucrative. So since the Kings deal did blow up, um, did they sell the parking meters? Because that was the initial idea was we were going to lease the parking meters out for 20 or 30 years. I don't remember what the year was, but um, did that go through or did they just pull that back since the whole I, I thing? Think that, I think that, that got pulled before that ever went through. It presumably would still be a piece of, um, you know, any new arena or new stadium or new whatever. Um, you know, it's still out there as an, as an option. But one of the big problems with that, deal was that they were supposed to sell all the future parking meter revenue and make up for the loss, you know, because if you sell it now, then you don't get money from the parking meters for the next 20, 30 years. So you're supposed to fill that gap with nobody quite knew. Um, and, you know, I think the King's owners, um, once it became clear that, you know, they might have to be on the hook for part of that, started backing away. Um, so, you know, it, it, it was one of those deals where 
you know, it was sort of 90% written down and 10% hand-waving. Um, and, you know, the parking meter thing was a piece of it that, you know, wasn't really all uh, penciled out yet. Well, that's good to hear because I mean, if a private company ever gets a hold of those, I mean, you can be paying a lot for you know per hour, and then you know you're kind of locked into it for such a long time. Oh yeah, no, it's a huge problem with your you know it, it, it's always something that mayors love, right? Is uh, you know the lure of hey, we could just sell our parking meters or our water <laughs> system or something, you know, and then raise some quick cash. Who needs that? Um, so you know, but it's but it's a dangerous thing because you know once it's once it's gone, then you're not in control of it anymore. Yeah. Well, Neil DeBoss blogs at uh, fieldofschemes.com. Thanks for joining us on the Heather McCoy show today. My pleasure as always. All right, cool. And uh, the next up on Heather McCoy show, we're going to be taking your phone calls at nine four nine eight two four five eight two four. The 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 question is is if you um, the question we'll be taking the phone calls on is which news stories have you just completely burned out on on election cycle. For me, there's a several. I'm so, 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 so sick and tired of Obamacare was first called Romneycare in Massachusetts. That just drives me insane. I mean, it doesn't address the problem that, well, I mean, it, the idea pretty much sucks and we need single-payer health healthcare system. And that just, that, that, you know, ball being batted back and forth on Meet the Press or cable channels, that that's driving me insane. Uh, it's also in your local news, and everything being capital-related is uh, driving me nuts. Um, I think the only thing that needs to be said about Bain is Mitt Romney worked there, and he's part of the 1%, and he works for the 1%. So anything Bain capital-related is driving me completely insane. The other um, election cycle news stories that have been driving me nuts is the Olympic uniforms, the berets. You know, Fox Morning News Channel host Gretchen Carlson is like, oh, they're wearing berets. That's not American, that's French. And then needless to say, she forgot about the Marines who wear berets. And then the whole controversy that it was made in China, the uniforms by Ralph Lauren, and uh, Harry Reid wants to burn them, which is always a productive use of time. And... Um, so, and then maybe you have your own major annoyance that you want to get off your chest. 949-824-5824. We're going to be talking, taking your calls on that. We're going to get to other news stories on the Heather McCoy Show.